Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We've got a packed show for you today. We are less than two weeks away from the opener, so we'll get into all the nuts and bolts from uh, Tech Media Day, and we'll also uh, hit on some other topics, and we'll close it out with which team in the top 10 currently do we think has the best chance of falling out of the poll by the end of the season and not be being ranked at the end of the year andy uh we had to delay the taping of this by a few minutes because right before we were going to sit down and do it we got some breaking news and uh you why don't you tell us what the breaking news is and we'll talk about it uh well i don't know how breaking it is but frank beamer and don nealon will serve as honorary captains at the uh season opener which that seems kind of like a no-brainer. I mean, they're both around. They're both sort of legendary coaches for their respective schools. Uh, it's always nice to put on a, a face from the past when this rivalry was uh, really at its height, uh, you know, when they were back when Big East rivals, both of them. So it uh, seems like a pretty smart thing to do to, to trot these guys out while they're still pretty recognizable to the fan bases and say, hey, this is when the rivalry was pretty good, and now they're renewing it. Yeah, but Frank is 0-2 in this role of honorary captain. They went to Charlottesville. Buzz had him on the bench. That was his first opportunity to do that. They got blown out. That was like a 30-point loss, wasn't it? That was that was a bad one. You I, know what? I, I, remember. I think Dowdy ran into Frank in the hallway afterwards, and Frank was really despondent about the fact that he had done so poorly as the coach. As the And then, of course, they used him at Battle of Bristol, and that didn't go so well for the Hokies either. So Frank needs some tips. I mean, anybody out there who knows the best way to be an honorary coach, um, who has success doing it, I'm not sure who the best person to mentor Frank would be. But if you're out there and you and you have some tips for him, maybe send him along because Frank could use them. Yeah, I don't know what uh, you can really contribute as the honorary captain. It doesn't seem like uh, you really influence the game in that role. So I, I don't know how much influence he has there. Uh, you know, I think Frank will do just fine with <laughs> however he's going to approach this thing. Here's another interesting Frank note, and I hope I'm not betraying the confidence, but Dowdy told me this. That, you know, his daughter, Allison, works for the college football playoff, and he Dowdy told me that Allison told him that Frank was the first member of the playoff selection committee who did not have an email address. <laughs> so they had to work around it, you know, like they, they have to email like his secretary, his former secretary, and then she somehow gets a call to him or something like that. So like we, we joked about the Spacebook stuff. Uh, we've done that multiple times. But I think Frank, if he actually said Spacebook, like I would kind of believe like maybe he doesn't know what Facebook is. How great would that be to live your life like that? It's amazing. To, he doesn't have a Twitter account. He doesn't need to worry about all that garbage on Twitter. He, he, like. You know, it was famous over his time that he barely knew how to text somebody on his, his cell phone. Like, he doesn't use cell phones. That's not really something he's all about. It, not an email address. Could you imagine not having an email address, not having to deal with, like, emails coming into you all day? Like, how can I get this live? But I guess if I was, uh, you know, 30-plus years as a head coach and a college football Hall of Famer, you can kind of set your agenda at that point. So that's how that's how you get to that point in life, uh, <laughs> in the years that he did it. But, uh no, that seems like it's a, it's the sweet life there. It's like I'm going golfing and nobody can bother me because I don't have a phone and I don't have an email account. And I don't have to check Twitter all day. Like this, this is pretty nice. You're right. He has unlocked 
the the key to simplicity in life, and now he's getting invited to do all sorts of things. You think he, he? I'm sure he knows the hassle that it is to have this stuff. You think he feigns like oh, I don't know, I can't understand this stuff. Like somebody else do this. Like he knows how to do it. I would have just oh yeah, he's a smart man. He's a smart man. We're not making fun just of his like intelligence. Feigns, but... feigns this uh, ignorance, like ah, oh, email. That's too. I don't want to deal with all that. Somebody else do this. Well, think of if if you're Frank Beamer and you, you've seen it all the things he's been at. You know, hockey games and and all the honorary coaching things and speaking engagements and think of all the ones that he would have to turn down if he had a, a portal that people could go through and direct contact him directly so oh, yeah email he'd have to turn down things all the oh, time oh there's a kroger opening in giles exactly. or something like that like, <laughs> or no, stop in food stores can you and shane come by you know no like he just you know if they if you want to get to frank you either go to greenbrier and find him walking along the, the greens or you or you call him up uh, the old-fashioned way and, and then you might get a yes stake out a milkshake store <laughs> in case he comes in to try to get something that, that'd be pedicure. smart yeah that'd be the smart way to go about this all right well the polls are out <laughs> andy we talked last week you are a first time ap poll voter this year and you had virginia tech in uh, your poll, and so did the other AP voters, or at least the majority of them, because Virginia Tech che- checks in at number 21. What is the significance of, of them being ranked to start the season here? Uh, there's not too much significance. I mean, obviously, this is just a, a best guess uh, at the start of the season. Uh, there are three teams or three games in week one between ranked opponents uh, Alabama, Florida State's obviously the marquee one. Uh, Michigan, Florida's, I guess you call it the undercard. I, I think it might be played at the same time, but you know that's the other kind of big one out there in week one. And then on Sunday, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, uh, they're both ranked uh, 21st and 22nd, Virginia Tech being 21st, uh, West Virginia 22nd. Uh, that'll be, you know, that's pretty good exposure for the program in week one, where it's a sort of a, a featured game of the night by itself on Sunday. I, I think Texas A&M and UCLA is also that night, but uh, you know, on the East Coast, I think there'd be a lot more interest in Virginia Tech, West Virginia. Uh, the fact that they both have uh, rankings going into it, I think there's maybe a little bit extra juice to the game. And maybe not from the, the participants, but for, in the fans interested in watching it. I think you, you flip by on TV, you see the little number next to both teams' names. Like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll stick around and watch this game a little bit. So uh, rankings are meaningless. Uh, you know, I said this a, a hundred times, certainly the preseason one, and uh, we'll get to what – uh, Justin Fuente thinks about rankings here uh, in a second, but uh, it is actually kind of neat to be going into a game, at least for me, to cover a game like this between two ranked teams right away. When was the last time they were uh, the Hokies were ranked going into a season? 2012. Okay, so and that season went horribly. They played. There have been three occasions. This will be the third occasion where they play a ranked team while they are ranked in a season opener. Okay. Uh, the last time was the Boise State opener. Uh, Boise State number three, Virginia Tech tenth. Everybody knows how that ended. Uh, the year before that, Alabama was fifth and Virginia Tech was seventh. Uh, Alabama won that 34 to 24. So they're 0 and 2 in, in games against ranked teams when they are ranked in a season opener. Uh, obviously, don't have the greatest history at FedEx. I mean, they, they, a lot of streaks can be broken if they were uh, to to pull this one out. It seems like you know, uh, I'm I'm not sure if you know this information or if, you, if you've looked it up, but I mean, I, they they had to have a pretty long streak there of being ranked in preseason polls. I mean, from the late '90s on to the, you know, every year they're winning ten games. <laughs> it seemed like so. I can't imagine they were left out uh, 
during those early 2000s and, and mid 2000s. But uh, so to, to be back in the poll, I think, you know, you people draw significance from that just to say, hey, maybe that's a signal that Virginia Tech is back where it needs to be in the eyes of of the nation here, or at least on the way back to where it wants to be. Uh, what was Fuente's response when he was asked a, a similar question in that vein? Uh, he doesn't care about the polls, <laughs> just as you'd expect a, a football coach to say. Uh, I think it, it was the stat that Virginia Tech, had, between 1995 and 2012, uh, they were in the final AP poll all but two years. I think it was 97 and 2003 when they weren't. So I think that would stand a reason that the year after that uh, they would not be ranked heading into the season just because that's kind of how it works. But, you know, Fuente gave a very football coach answer to the question about, oh, did you rank your, your team in the top 25? It's like, no, we have to earn that. It's like, okay. You know, I, I know all the fans just ate that up. They heard that. They're like, that's right. You got to go out there and put on your hard hat and take your lunch pail to work and then work hard and get to those rankings. And also, I think Virginia Tech fans sort of have this complex, especially lately, because whenever they do get into the polls, that always seems to be when they have their big letdown. Right. And that, that's what it was last year. They got out there against Syracuse and lose, uh, get back into the mid-teens against Georgia Tech and lose and drop out. So... Uh, I think they the fans would have probably preferred for the Hokies not to have been ranked coming into this game. So they've been like, that's right, they're the underdog. They have something to prove against this ranked opponent, and uh, that's not the case. I guess there's a, enough respect out there that Virginia Tech actually did get into the rankings. Well, I, I don't enjoy the dog and pony show that we do annually, but it, I will say the rankings dog and pony show is better than the where you get picked in the ACC dog and pony show because that's always a question because we're all there and somebody's going to ask you, Coach, what do you think about the fact that you're third in the Atlantic? And and it's just, you know what the answer is going to be. I mean, you know. Wasn't that a famous Al Groh saying whenever somebody asked him, he said, what do I always say here? Players play, coaches coach, pickers pick. <laughs> something to that effect. Like he's like, I don't care. Yeah, every coach says something to that effect. Oh, is that where they had us? Oh, I didn't even know. I don't even care. I've always thought rankings were more significant in the sense that, uh, you know, if you if you got a number next to your name, th- that shows up. Like when you go on CBSSportsLine.com and you click on college football scores, your, your first – uh, batch of scores is only going to be the ranked team top 25 and right. so virginia yeah. tech you're in um and you know notre dame right now you're not you're not among that list and it's also you know it's significant for it's less significant now that everybody has a cell phone but it used to be you know you follow scores on the bottom line on espn or wherever and uh or you know while you're watching a game on cbs and and they, they say here's the top 25 scores you know all of a sudden your your team every week is getting that little bump from people that, oh virginia tech's in top 40 you know top 25 i didn't know that you know somebody living in oregon or something and so then all of a sudden by the end of the year you know people know your team's pretty good and you you know, that there's a little respect factor, I think, that, that comes with a ranking that doesn't come with whether you, you're picked to win the Atlantic Division. Yeah, plus I think it, it's something that you know Virginia Tech fans experienced it for a long time where they were always ranked. I think from uh, 2004 to 2012 was the streak, uh, possibly 2002. Yeah, I think that was the streak where they were ranked like every week in there. Like they, maybe they dropped out briefly or whatever it was, but they, they were always finished in the poll. Uh, when they dropped out in, in 2012, after I think they lost to Pittsburgh pretty badly early in the season, and I'm not sure if they dropped out after that or if it took another week or whatever when they dropped out. After that, in the four or five years since then, four plus years since then, they were in the polls for a total of 
12 weeks, yeah. I think. So, I mean, 12 weeks over the course of four and a half years is just something that the fan base is not accustomed to or not grown accustomed to. So, you know, starting the season, the poll, if they can stay there and, and kind of build a, a reputation again about being a consistent top 25 team, I think that matters. I think that counts for something. Yeah, and you mentioned that West Virginia is in the poll. Uh, they're actually in both polls, coaches and and AP. They're behind Tech in the AP. They're ahead of Tech in, in the coaches, but it's pretty much, as you said last week, throw all those you know ones near the bottom into a, into a pile, and you can mix them up however you want. But the significance of West Virginia being in the poll is, you know, I think it gives a, the impression that, that West Virginia is uh, not far from what they were last season when they were a 10-3 and three, uh, <coughs> team. Um, but I wrote this week, you know, I mean, looking at some things online, you know, the Bill Connolly preview, which is, a, is about as in-depth and data-driven as you can get uh, on SB Nation, he predicts them to go 5-7. and seven. Now, maybe that's a little bit uh, pessimistic. You know, he said, look, if they go 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, the fan base should be happy. Um, you know, I'm looking at some of the Vegas numbers. You know, the over-under for wins is 7, but the under is a pretty strong favorite there, minus 130 for those who understand betting lines. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that means that most people think that they're going to probably win six games or, or fewer. How good is West Virginia in your mind? I mean, what, what do you think um, – you know, I mean, I know, I know we're going to hear a lot of good things about West Virginia and how great they are here in the next two weeks. That's part of uh, part of the process. But uh, you know, empirically, what do you think of West Virginia? I'm not sure. I mean, that was a part of the thing I struggled with in trying to figure out if I was going to put them in my poll or not. I ended up not having them in. They, I probably would have had them 26th or 27th, uh, just based on the the next pool of teams that I had. Uh, the Bill Connolly article you mentioned was a big reason why I didn't have them ranked. Right. Uh, you know, I try to look at things from an analytical side of it and an and unbiased uh, way of going into it. I mean, the, the 10 and 3 last year, just based on that, they if you're basing it, oh, this program, the direction it's going, they probably should be in there. They lost eight starters on that defense, I think. Uh, I don't think they're going to have their middle linebacker for this opener. I think he hurt himself, uh, had to sum to his knee early on. Obviously breaking a new quarterback. I know Will Greer was great at, at uh, Florida a couple years ago. Uh, did rack up that 5-0 and record against pretty subpar competition. Right. So it's not like he did that against the, the meat of the SEC. Uh, so I, I have a little bit of question marks about how good he'll be immediately in this offense. And you know, historically, you know, Bud Foster's defenses have been pretty tough against quarterbacks like that. So I, a lot of this stuff factored into it. Uh, like you said, once you get past 15, 16, it really all starts to look the same. And, I, you know, if West Virginia wins this opener, they're back in the rankings in, in my poll, definitely. I think so, yeah. Uh, so, it, like I said, I'm not going to be afraid to shake up my poll on a week-to-week thing. And I'm not going to stick to like, oh, this is what I had in the preseason, so I have to be true to that throughout the season. I, I'm going to hope to rip up my ballot each week and try to start with a fresh perspective. So, uh, you know, West Virginia, if if you're worthy of being a ranked team and win this first game, you'll you'll definitely be in the rankings in the second week. But uh, to start off, I just didn't have him in there. Yeah, not to suck up to you, but I mean, I think that's your first honorable move as a as a new poll voter is leaving West Virginia out of there because you, you're right, ten and three suggests okay you're going to start there even if we know you lost a ton we're going to put you somewhere near the bottom just because of what you did last year and you're saying basically last year is last year and that's what coaches say all the time but the uh, poll voters don't seem to really <coughs> believe in that at least when it comes time to submitting their ballots well i had notre dame and texas in my poll i think i had them 23rd and 24th or something like that uh might have been reversed the two there but uh, you know, that's based on projection. I mean, based on what they did last year, neither of them should be anywhere near the poll. 
Uh, but you know, I, I think Notre Dame was a very unlucky team last year. I think they've recruited well. I, I could see a bounce back season coming for them. Uh, Texas, I think the Tom Herman effect is a big one. I mean, you know, Texas isn't devoid of talent down there. Uh, and the way Herman went into Houston and just kind of kept that thing rolling, I think he could come in and maybe uh, under the radar this year might be to their advantage. They could uh, kind of catch some teams by surprise. So He's an offensive guy, right? Yeah, he is. He was I mean, the Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, those are kind of best guesses on how this thing is going to go. And that's really what the preseason polls. You read all this offseason stuff, and you kind of come up with a best guess of how it's going to go. So once the games start, you know, I will shake things up considerably. I think it'll be interesting to actually do it once you have some data to go by from the actual season. We were talking off air, and I think anytime we see the coaches' contrivances, we need to call it out because you and I are in firm solidarity on this. Uh, the eclipse happened, and – uh, you know, there were a lot of... Tweets. Was that yesterday? I didn't hear much about <laughs> yeah. that. Was that the news? <laughs> the eclipse was, you know, okay, some of the jokes got a little stale. Um, some of the, the social media, you know, at some point you kind of <laughs> just want to jump off social media because you're like, okay, I've seen enough of the eclipse jokes and, and, and banter. But... What you told me off air? What Nick Saban said he didn't even know the eclipse was. Or he didn't I think it was Will Muschamp. I okay. Think. I think Nick Saban said it's like, no, they show what it's going to be like on the Weather Channel, so I don't have to go outside and watch it. Something <laughs> to that effect. Like, you're I'm too, too busy. busy. I'm too busy. I'm coaching football here. Okay, I'm doing something important. I don't have time for this eclipse nonsense. I hate that. Like, I come on, live a little. Like, come on. You can't comment on something in the news. Uh, it is. It is terrible. I mean, it happens once every ninety-nine years. That wasn't that? Can... Wasn't that like when Joe Gibbs was famous about like yeah you know, he was in Washington and like knew nothing about what was going on in the country. It's like he slept in his office. He only thought about football like all the time. It's like really like understand there's other stuff in the world going on. Like, you know, be a little bit worldly with your, your uh, football team well, there. They I can understand it's more than just, you know, whether you make a tackle on a certain play. Uh, well, I think where it's dangerous is, is if you do insulate your players as well. Like if you, if, like if you want to be ignorant to what's going on in the world, uh, that's your personal decision, but you're in charge of these guys. And if you schedule, a, I'm not saying Nick Saban did this, but if you schedule a practice uh, during the eclipse, when they could be actually out seeing something that they'll remember, you know, down the road, I think that's that's the kind of thing that you know that then a coach is a little too serious for me. I mean that's a little too bit too too much uh, all football all the time for for my taste. Yeah, and to a lot of coaches' credit, they did do something with the eclipse. I think there was clips of Virginia Tech guys with glasses on out there looking. Where at Where was your I story on Colorado. that? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I didn't write the story. I didn't have the glasses, so I did like the ghetto version of. It. I took the a uh, colander out of the kitchen, and if you hold it up, the, the sun will come through, and you kind of see where the eclipse. Like it's got a little crescent moon on it because it's. It can show the the light that's being blocked out on it. So I did not look directly at it because you're not supposed to. But that was my uh, my way of in, enjoying the eclipse yesterday. My dogs got really scared because they you know they thought it was gonna thunderstorm. That's because it got dark. Oh, you know? and so, yeah. But uh, yeah, I peeked up at it with glasses with no glasses. I did the Trump thing. And I, you're I, blind I, now. I'm okay. But uh, yeah, it wasn't during like one of the main parts of it. So. But, yeah, I just wanted to see, hey, what, what can I see real quick? Where we uh, were, it was kind of like, you know, it was cool to look at through, like, the pinhole thing or see the, the, the you know, the moon projection uh, on the sun. But, you know, if, if you didn't know that it was, you'd be like, oh, it's just kind of cloudy out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it was, like, total darkness or anything like that in the path of totality or whatever they called that type of thing. But you know, here it was, it was just like, meh. 
yeah, it's a little, little bit darker than usual in the afternoon. You know a place that was on the path of totality that's a dear and dear to my heart? Harris Cherokee. You should have gone there. I know. You I, should have filed from there. Room, room rates probably would have been through. The number the of reporters that we sent out across the, the area to That's write right. about that. You could have been part of that. I could have written it off. I could have <laughs> could have expensed it. You would have gotten a free room, I bet, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know. It might have been... They might have jacked up the rates for that person. <laughs> Arrow would have been like, reporting from the craps table. I didn't see much, but I was indoors, so who knows? It was all the talk at the poker room. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, Trayvon McMillan, you wrote something about him this week, and I thought it was very interesting because we've kind of speculated on here, like, is he on the outs with the team? Or, you know, why aren't we hearing more about Trayvon? He's the leading returning rusher career-wise at the ACC um, tell us about your, you know, give us a thumbnail sketch of your McMillan story and what he had to say about sort of his role. You know, I think he comes into this season with a little bit better grasp of what running backs are supposed to do in this offense. And you remember when we talked to him before the Independence Bowl, uh, you know, he, Fuente had been hired at that point. Uh, and he, when he's, he's putting goals out there for himself, he was a thousand yard rusher that year, about to become a thousand yard rusher, I think in the bowl game. Uh, and he said, I want to have 1800 yards next year. Right. And we all like, oh, you know, look at him setting the bar way out there like that. And I think next, the next August, we talked to him. That somehow became sixteen hundred. I don't know if like when we changed that for him or he changed that goal. Whatever it was, it came down a little bit. Uh, that's not really. I don't want to say possible. I just certainly not likely in this offense with the way they use the running backs, uh, the number of guys that they put in and out of the game. Uh, you know, we asked Brad Cornelson, the offensive coordinator, about the running back's role in the offense. And he's like, you know, a, a big part of what they do is blocking on, like, jet sweeps and stuff. And they weren't very good at that last year. Uh, so I, th- I think it's just sort of understanding how they use the backs in this offense. You're not going to be a 25, 30 carry a game guy. It's just not the way they do it. Uh, you have to make the most of those 10 carries you might get in the game. You have to make the most of your pass protection duties. Uh, when you're not getting the ball, you have to get out there on the perimeter and block on jet sweeps and screens and all sorts of stuff. So I think McMillan just is a year older, uh, being the oldest guy in the room now that Sam Rogers is gone. I, I think he uh, sort of understands better what the offense is going to be. And I don't think that necessarily means, oh, he's going to be the guy they give the ball to the most. I still don't really know how that's going to go. And you have guys like Stephen Peoples, Deshaun McLeese, Jalen Holston, the freshman that's in there. I mean, all those guys could be a featured back in a particular game or get the most carries. But uh, I don't think McMillan's going to disappear by any sense. And I think that was always kind of a question uh, last year is, you know, what's the disconnect between him and this new coaching staff? Why isn't he out there all the time? And I, I think there's a better understanding between the two of, uh, you know, how he fits in this offense. Yeah. I mean, just doing the math, he'd have to average like 15 yards a carry in order to get 18 yeah, yeah. yards. Cause if you're going to get 10 or, you know, 12 carries a game, that's just, just you know, mathematically it's just not going to happen. Well, you know, we talked last week about my theory about the, the quarterback being intertwined with the running back position. And you kind of said, uh, yes and no, meaning no, <clears throat> that's not, I mean, they're two separate positions and clearly, um, the running backs, uh, don't factor, you know, how good they're going to be doesn't doesn't make any difference on who you're going to start on the center. That may may be true. However, it did sound like, you know, and just listening to Cornelson talk with BD today and listening to Fuente a little bit, uh, that, that they do they do like what they have in that room. Uh, you wrote a little bit about the, the 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 whole package there and and what they're all about. You know, what can you tell us about the running backs? Well, I think if you look at it compared to last year, and obviously you had Sam Rogers, but he was kind of an H-back too. They really used him more as a tailback. Uh, really, the Virginia game was the the one where he 
got all of his carries essentially for the season. Uh, McLeese got hurt, so he wasn't in the, the mix last year. You had Marshawn Williams coming back from a knee injury, who then re-injured himself. You had Shai McKenzie, who was not quite healthy, or uh, not quite in the mix all season. Uh, later, unhealthy at the end of the year. Uh, just and then, obviously McMillan, who you know, something just wasn't working uh, with that, or wasn't quite connecting uh, last year with how they wanted to use him. So. Uh, you look at it now this year, it's a versatile group. You know, Peoples is a bigger guy. McLeese is a smaller, shiftier guy. I think Holston is a combination. McMillan is a combination type thing. There's a greater understanding of the, the backs of how they're going to work in the offense. Uh, I just think they feel a little bit more comfortable about that group, even though you don't have somebody as, as trustworthy uh, or just solid all day long like Sam Rogers. So uh, I think that's where the encouraging signs come from the coaches. Uh, in terms of how this running back group is going to perform. And now they actually have to go out there and do it and get some more yards. I mean, I think they averaged – tailbacks as a group averaged 4.2 yards per carry last year. Uh, the last time Virginia Tech was in the top 30 nationally as a rushing offense was when David Wilson set the single-season record in, in 2011. Tailbacks averaged 5.2 yards per carry. So oh, a yard more than what they were now. I think that, that that's really the area you have to see an improvement with this group is when they do touch the ball, they need to be getting more yards in that sense. And a lot of that's on the blocking, obviously. You can only do so much with that. But, you know, some of that's on the backs. They have to make guys miss. They have to break a tackle here and there. Uh, you know, some of that is on them to get some of that extra yardage too. We have a McLeese stockiness update. Uh, I had not met him before, and we were talking about it because I'd seen the measurements, 5'9", 190 or something like that, and I said, that sounds pretty stocky to me. Uh, I got to look at him. He's not stocky. He's, you, no. you were correct. Stephen Peoples is stocky. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like when He's Steven, also 30 pounds heavier. When but... Stephen Peoples walked in, like that was kind of what I thought. Somehow 5'9", 190 looked like that in my head but it doesn't he's like 215 or 220 something like that um so yeah he he's definitely not mcleese is definitely not stocky uh he had a uh, interesting quote about uh trayvon tremaine edmonds uh he was asked how you know who what was the hardest hit he's ever taken since he's come to virginia tech and he said it happened last week <laughs> he said it was tra- he said he felt like he'd been hit by a train um we should talk about Tremaine Evans. I mean, just that guy. You when he walked in there, I mean, he's he's up 14 pounds from what he was last year. He was 236 last year. And he was a big guy last year. He's a he is a physical marvel. Uh, how good of a season could he have? And we'll do over unders and stuff next week. But I mean, how good can he can he win some national awards? Perhaps. Well, if there is an All American candidate on this team, it's him. He's he's yeah. the best shot that they have for that. I think. Um, you know, for a while there, Virginia Tech just kind of got by with uh, not physically overwhelming linebackers. You know, Jack Tyler type, yeah. Chase Williams. You know, Bruce Taylor wasn't huge, and, and obviously he had the 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 Liz Frank injury that uh, affected his athleticism out there. I think uh, Tariq Edwards, same way. You know, he had the the leg issue that you know he wasn't quite as explosive as of an athlete uh, later in his career. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds is you look at him and you go wow like mm-hmm. that guy could play in the NFL you look at his size he's, oh, yeah. he's 6'5 240 250 250 now yeah. uh you know th- th- that's like Alabama linebacker size I and mean, those are just these monster NFL type guys uh when he came here there's kind of a question of where he was going to play 
Uh, obviously, his dad, Farrell, was a, an NFL tight end. So I think that was a possibility. They look at it, oh, this guy's 6'5". And of, of the Edmonds brothers, he looks most like his dad physically because mm-hmm. he's that tall and everything. Uh, I think there were some thoughts of putting him at defensive end. He was going to grow into a defensive end. And, uh, you know, if they needed him to slip down to be a pass rusher every now and then, I think he could do that pretty well. He's got those kind of instincts. Uh, but having him at the linebacker spot is really – because he can move. I mean, he can move side to side. He's a long, rangy athlete. I know you always like it when I say that. Uh, he's he's all over the field. He had 18 and a half tackles for a loss last year. Uh, you know, I, I just think he's a guy that you have in the middle of the field that can do a lot of things, whether it's rushing the pass or stopping the run, uh, in pass coverage if he has to because he can get his arms up there and knock things down. Uh, very impressive athlete. I mean, you, he's a true junior this year. And like all the Edmonds brothers, they had reclassified when they were younger, so they're essentially skipped a grade at some point during their uh, their younger years. Uh, and, and a couple years ago, they played him, and you kind of went, are they burning this year on him? Because it just doesn't seem like he's playing that much. Uh, Deion Clark was the starter, but Edmonds ended up starting two games because Deion Clark would always get suspended for some reason. Uh, it looks like it was a wise decision to play him that early because at the rate he's going, I he could possibly go pro after this year. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a really good season. So you want to get those type of athletes on the field early and get the most kind of years out of them that you can. And uh, I, I expect big things from him this season. Yeah, and, and another thing is he loves contact. And I know people will say, well, if you're going to be a college football player, you have to love contact. I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, maybe not to the level that he loves it, you know, because I asked him if he's, if he's ever afraid of contact, even when he was a little kid. Because you, you, if you talk to people about their childhood and their upbringing, they'll say, well, I had to get over a fear of that, you know, or I didn't want to play a certain position because I didn't want to get hit, that kind of thing. He loved it from from the time he left the, the womb. And that, you know, that, that that makes you an even better player at the position he's at. So, uh, yeah, look for look for good things from him. Also, McLeese's second hardest hitter on the defense, Terrell Edmonds. Yeah. So it runs in the family there. And I think a lot of people look at Trey Edmonds when he got here, and if he had played linebacker from the start, he had that he leveled some Duke defender after an interception on one play. And I think people are like, oh, what could have been if yeah. he had played a linebacker instead of running back? Although Trey – you know, sounds like he's doing pretty well with the Saints right now in uh, training camp. I don't know if he'll make a team that's tough to do as a running back, but uh, I think I've seen him a couple times where it's people that are like, oh, he's doing pretty well. I love that guy's positivity, man. He's just uh, sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. Uh, you know, he. Uh, I'm going to write something this week about about the defense and about their their tackling. Um, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it, but it seems like when, when Virginia Tech's defenses don't have the kind of season that you expect them to have or you want them to have tackling poor tackling is is the biggest culprit and it just seems to me like this team is loaded with guys who can tackle and like to tackle um and so that gives me you know we we do this discussion every year is this going to be one of the best defenses bud foster's ever had and we we look at the numbers and we look at the returning starters and we look at all those things to me, one of the reasons to give you hope if you're a Virginia Tech fan that this will be one is just because of the makeup of those guys. They they seem to be very fundamentally sound and pretty vicious in their hitting. Yeah, and I think that'll be uh, very important in the opener. Uh, you know, yeah. West West Virginia spreads things out. You know, Dana Holgerson's an, an air raid type guy. 
they're going to throw it around the field. They're going to spread you out, try to get it to guys in space, and then try to make a move and, and get down the field. So that open field tackling is going to be huge in that game. And, and that'll be a test right off the bat for how good this defense really is because uh, I think that'll be one of the better offenses they face this year. And uh, there's no sort of preseason or way to ease into it. You just go out there and you're facing it the very first week. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. It was interesting. I, I don't think you were in the room when Stroman was in there and I was, t- I asked him, I said, what's the key to tackling in space? And I thought he'd give me something, you know, get your head in front of the, the legs or whatever, uh, or go, go right for his hip or something like that. And he says, well, the biggest key is to not give them space. You know, it, it happens before they try to get them in space. You gotta, you gotta anticipate where they're gonna try to create that space and close that space, and then, then you don't have to make that tackle in space because it's very, very difficult to make that tackle in space. So, I thought that was a different answer than I expected. And you don't always get that, you know. No, so, no, that was a good one. Yeah, good uh, for Greg. Well, you know, speaking of the de- defensive backs, I mean, Brandon Faison got some good news from. For Hokie fans on that front, it sounds like he's going to play, right, for uh, West Virginia? Yeah, I never really doubted that he was going to play. It's not like this is a leg thing like in the past where he didn't have his legs under him and you know not movie breaking at the same way that he was. Uh, this is a wrist injury, I guess, from that he had uh, surgery on in the offseason. He's uh, been wearing a cast. Uh, either has that off now or is scheduled to soon. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, they don't let us in to watch practice <laughs> anymore, so it's tough to get updates on that. Uh, I, I think Bud Foster mentioned, you know, the thing that you miss out on is he hasn't been through full contact and that's sort of a mentality and you get, you have to be sort of be ready for that kind of thing and be used to it over a couple of weeks to, to truly be sort of in good tackling form. And I think that's the one area that there's maybe a little bit of concern there, but in terms of coverage and, you know, uh, having his legs under him and being fast and stuff like that, I mean, I think he's been practicing, you know, they said they were surprised by how much they were getting out of him at practice at this point. So I think he's been out there quite a bit. He's a veteran guy who knows the defense. It's not like he's he's going to be not sharp from that uh, that perspective of things. So uh, I guess for all things considered, that's probably the most positive update you could get for, as a Hokie fan. Definitely. And a little less favorable news about Devin Hunter. Uh, concussion issues, I guess Bud said. Yeah, he said some concussion-type things. I don't know exactly what that means. If he's just trying to avoid saying that he did have a concussion out there. But he missed the first two scrimmages. Uh you know, that's pretty important for a true freshman, especially who just arrived here in the summer. I think a lot of people saw Devin Hunter's sign and they're like, he's going to start right away. And I've, I've, from the beginning, I sort of said, eh, it doesn't really work like that, uh, certainly in this defense. Yeah, you, maybe you, if he was a receiver. Right, yeah, you, you have to have an opportunity, first off, to do that. And Reggie Floyd, somebody who stepped in in the spring and has done pretty well, and it sounds like they're eager to get him out there on the field as a rover. Uh, and that's the position Devin plays. So uh, I, I imagine that he would sort of be eased into action over time a little bit more. Uh, certainly they don't mess around with a concussion once he's ready to play. But you miss that sort of early instruction part of August, uh, especially when you've never had that background before at the college level. That's tough to play catch up. Uh, so I think he'll, he'll play a special teams role uh, to start out. Probably pretty limited, if anything, uh, on the regular defense. That's just a best guess based on how these things have sort of worked in the past. Uh, but I think over time and as the season progresses, they'll find ways to get him in there on the defense. Well, one guy, uh, one true freshman who looks like he will play for sure and maybe even start, Dalton Keene, uh, tight end, H-back type. Uh, we saw him make a Sam Rogers type play in the spring game, uh, catching the ball over the middle, taking it to the end zone. Uh 
what is Dalton's uh, situation and what does he bring if he does end up getting the starting role? Well, he's one where you look at it and the opportunity is there. I mean, they don't have Sam Rogers this year. Chris Cunningham's a returning guy at that position, although the tight end H-backs in this offense, I feel Cunningham's more of like an on-the-line tight end and, and Dalton Kane's more of a, a guy that plays off the line and in space a little bit more like the H-back does. Uh, you know, I, I just think that he's someone who arrived in the winter specifically for this reason. Is he going to jump on the season? Because I think they knew that he was going to play early on. Uh, didn't look overwhelmed in that spring game, and it sounds like he's carried that over into August. So, you know, if Fuente said he could possibly start, uh, I know a starting designation in this offense isn't like, oh, you're going to play the entire game if you start because they rotate guys in so much. But uh, if, as a true freshman, he's actually a starter out there and plays a, a great number of snaps, that's a pretty significant uh, accomplishment, I'd say. You know who else could make a big impact as a freshman? Who's that? That's right. Khalil Pimpleton. I have a mea culpa. Last week, I bashed you and the rest of the Virginia Tech media corps for not asking any Khalil Pimpleton questions during the most recent press conference, which I did not attend. Well, I went to media day, and as I was driving away, I realized I did not ask any questions about Khalil Pimpleton. <laughs> And I know it would have been – even if it was just funny to you and me that I, you know, we were both in there and I just threw a one in there, even if I didn't get an answer that was worth anything for the Pimpleton Minute, I should have done it. It would have been a good – That's a failing we, on your part. We would have had a, a note. We don't, we, have a, we don't have a note this week. We don't. I, I think he's – I mean he's in the mix. I mean see, I think C.J. Carroll is a guy who they trust a little bit more in the slot because he has been here and done it before. Uh, but, you know, Sean Savoy is another freshman who I think they're going to look at at that position. I'd, I'd say Pimpleton's in there. I, I think he'll play. I think Savoy will play. I think there's, there's so much uncertainty at the receiver spot that all those young guys are going to have to play. Even if maybe they'd like to redshirt them, I don't know if they'll have that luxury this year. So I'd expect them to get on the field. But, again, we're just kind of guessing at this point of camp. See, you just gave some fruitful information there. That you know you said before. It was pure guesswork, sure, though. It's not like I'm sitting here like, like, like sure my sources are saying to me. It's like I don't really know. I'm just kind of guessing of, based you, on how they talk. Well, sometimes you gotta you gotta guess. Uh, one note I wanted to throw into this podcast, and yeah, I talked to Colt Pettit briefly, and he he made the switch from guard to uh, tight end before the Notre Dame game last year. He actually started a couple games at guard, uh, but he's. He's down 50 pounds from his days as a guard, and he now weighs 265. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, if you want to lose 50 pounds, that's how you do it. You become good enough to start at, at, at guard, and then you change positions. How unhealthy are offensive linemen? It's horrible what yeah. they have to do. I mean, some of these guys are just that big. Like they, you know, I think there's Yash Nijman's 6'7. I mean, he came in here at 260 pounds, and he had to add 40 pounds, but. You look at him now and you're you know, like, he's fat. He's just big. <laughs> like He's still like a very cut 300 pounds or whatever he, he weighs. But a lot of these guys, it's like, you've just got to eat and eat. I mean, we always that's always the story you do every year on the guy who, who gained a bunch of weight. It's like, what was it like eating that much? And you see all these fat sports writers just like <laughs> salivating. It's like, oh my gosh, you get to eat eight burgers in a sitting? Like, that sounds great. This is so wonderful. I wish I could do that. Well, I do do that. But part of that yeah. is just like, I remember Lawrence Gibson, that was a story. He'd eat like 6,000 calories in a meal or something like that. And we'd all just sit there and marvel at it. But 
if you if you don't like eating that much, that's gotta just be torture. Like just continue stuffing your face with this food because you have to weigh over three hundred pounds to play this position. I think it's always interesting the offensive linemen like they get if they get out of college and then they don't continue to play professionally or something like that. They go one of two ways. Like they either stop eating like that and they just slim down into like a normal person again. Like Greg Nozell a couple years ago yeah. uh, was a GA for Tech. He, I think he's uh, an assistant now to Stacy Searles uh, in Miami. He really slimmed down to the point where he was almost unrecognizable yeah. uh, after the fact. Or it goes the other way. Those guys continue to eat like they did, <laughs> right. but they're not working out like they did with the offensive line. Because you burn calories like crazy as a big guy like that going through football practice. But if you're used to eating that much and then you cut out the exercise portion of it, you can just balloon up to like you know, 350, 400. I mean you can get really big in a hurry. So I don't envy those guys to have to, to put their bodies through what they're doing like that. Because it, you're right. It's a very unhealthy way to live, to be that big. It's just not natural, you know? Yeah. Over the weekend, the Orioles brought back their 1992 team to celebrate the 25th anniversary of uh, Camden Yards. And Mark McLemore and Sam Horn were among those guys. <laughs> and I, I texted my brother. I said, they're all fat except Brady. Brady looked exactly Brady Anderson. And, and my brother said, well, he's still on the juice which uh, may be libelous. Uh, if, if, if Brady has a problem with that, my brother said it, not me, but I did text back. Ha, I, don't, ha, ha. I, I don't know if Brady Anderson wants to go to a court of law to try to prove against that. Uh, in that era of baseball, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence to that whole thing. That's correct. Well, I drove by the Roanoke Civic Center today, and on the marquee, on the Marquis, it said Sinbad is coming on September 9th. And I thought to myself, this is a very tangential connection to the Hokies, but with Cam Phillips showing up in those Dwayne Wayne glasses and Sinbad showing up in Roanoke in a couple of weeks, is 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 a different world making a comeback? Is that something that's going on? I don't know. Has it been long? Is 25 years, 25, yeah. almost 30 years now from when that show started? I just feel like there's so many shows they could have brought back that would have been better. Well, they sort of are bringing that show back. You ever watch that show Blackish? No, uh, I forget the actress's name, but she's the oldest daughter on the show, and she's going off to college. I think they're doing a spinoff like that, and it's like that's very a different worldish <laughs> like. So maybe it is. Maybe it is back in the the news or back uh, in vogue here. Now you have. We were trying to figure out what Sinbad is best known for, and I guess you know he was in a different world. Uh, I thought he was in House Party. Apparently, he was not. Um, so my Sinbad knowledge is terrible. You found something and you, you claim this is the best part of Sinbad. Well, this is what I would know him for is from the movie Necessary Roughness. Okay. Yeah, you know, sports writer. Yeah, this is this is his famous part, in my opinion, from the trailer. What we need to do is get crazy. <laughs> we need to get wild. We need to <laughs> It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> what was his name? Hold on, let me find his name in that. Uh... I want, I want the. Uh, was it Andre something? Andre Krim. <laughs> I want people to know out there that uh, Andy was holding his computer up to the microphone. We're really technologically savvy here. <laughs> We're not to the point where we can do this in post production or something like that. It's like, nope, we got to have the sound live as it goes, just like you held up your phone for the, the Pimpleton minute before. Five minutes after I held up my phone. All right, let's get to our prediction. We'll close it out with this. Wait, what? What is your what is your favorite Sinbad moment of history? 
I don't know. It maybe it maybe is always sunny. It's always sunny when he was uh, with uh, Rob Thomas. Him and the, Rob Thomas. Yeah, in the uh, in the Nut House. Th- these but, are the movies IMDb lists him famous for. Jingle All the Way. But that was more of a Schwarzenegger. Yeah, vehicle. I'll be honest. I, I don't know if I've seen that movie all the way through. I've seen uh, it on cable and seen parts I of it. I can't believe you he's would dressed, even start that movie. He's dressed as a mailman on the cover, so I guess that was his role. First <laughs> he looks, kid. He looks shocked about First this. kid, which I think he was a little bit more prominent. He looks like some sort of Secret Service member in that one. Good Burger, which I have no, you know, that my, was obviously a Keenan and Kill vehicle there. He was not a main My guy. kids have watched that show, uh, Good Burger. I think there's a show on Nickelodeon or something. Yeah, yeah, that was the oh, that was the movie based on that. Okay, I, I assume. Yeah, uh, but yeah, and I, I think there was another one. House guest. House Phil Hartman House was in that one. Guest is yes. not as good as House Party. No. no. So I, of those, I know him from Necessary Roughness because that was. I mean, that was a good bad movie. So, you need to watch that. So, that's a, that's like back in the era of like football movies that were like the the number of people: Scott Bakula, Jason Bateman, Kathy Ireland. That's a good cast. Rob Schneider, Robert Loggia, I, th- I believe, is the uh, the coach in that one or assistant coach. David Spade's not in it. I'm not going. That's your that's your <laughs> level of whether I'm going to see a movie. If I'm going to watch a '90s SNL star, it's it's got to involve David Spade. So if you were to go to the Sinbad show. Uh, let's say you got a free ticket and the wife wanted to go. Would you be in the stands yelling like, hey, do the speech from Necessary Roughness? Adrian Cram, <laughs> do the speech. I'm sure he'd appreciate that. All right. Let's let's close it out with our prediction. Um, we're looking at the poll since that came out on Monday, and we're trying to decide which of the top ten teams <laughs> – will not be in the poll at the end of the year. Or was which, that what it was? I thought it was just going to be not be in the top ten. No. I thought it was not in the oh, poll Oh, I don't know if I would pick these teams. Okay, let's just do – let's just do – okay, you you would phrase it as which team will be a bust. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, here are the top – Relative 10. bust to what the expectations are. Here are the teams in the top ten. Number one's Alabama, two Ohio State, three <coughs> Florida State, four USC, five Clemson, six Penn State, seven Oklahoma, eight – Washington, 9, Wisconsin, 10, Oklahoma State. The reading of the poll. Um, so you uh, you and I agreed, I think, on the one team that we think is the best chance to be a bust. And since you said it first, I'll let you go ahead and take it. Well, I thought Clemson. Yeah. I know they're the defending national champions. I know they've recruited so well. But you lose a player like Deshaun Watson, who was just such a transcendent player and such a reason why that team achieved the success it did the last couple of years, and you remove that, uh, I think they could drop down. I think, I mean, I think they're not going to be like a six and six team or something like that, but I could see them being nine and three, especially in a schedule where they play you know, Florida State, Louisville, obviously play Virginia Tech on the road. They play Auburn. Uh, I think Auburn? I think it's at home. Okay. Or, but that that's the second week of the season. Yeah, they're still breaking in a quarterback at that point. Uh, you know, lost to Pittsburgh last year. It's not like they haven't lost to these teams. Or NC State really should have beaten them last year. I just, I, I think when you lose a player like that, and you know, Florida State did that with Jameis Winston, Oregon did it with Mariota. Uh, you just take a step back naturally. So I think it it might be hard for them to to live up to a number five preseason ranking. Even though I think I had them number four in my preseason uh, ballot. Uh, I think the potential is there that, uh, you know, if they get caught with an injury or two in a bad spot or the quarterback situation doesn't work out as well as they hope, that 
uh, they maybe are not going to be in that top ten at the end of the year. Yeah, the recruiting has been fantastic, right? I mean, it's been yeah, they're among top, the best yeah. in the country. Uh, Davos getting it done there. But, you know, I think the reason I think Clemson, too, is I look and they're only two spots behind Florida State. And I think Florida State is much the class of the Atlantic division. I really do. I think they're the class of the ACC and they're definitely the class of that division. I think so, but I'm still not just completely sold. That defense is really good. I think there are questions on offense. Uh, DeAndre Francis, Francois, however you say his last name, is he going to take the next step as being a guy? I mean, they don't have Dalvin Cook there anymore, and he was such a big part of that offense last year. Uh, I wonder about their offensive line a little bit this year. I know that's a big thing that you look at every year. Uh, if that's going to hold up. I don't know if you can take, you know, how that Alabama game goes and be project. Oh, well, they're going to be a failure this season if they lose to Alabama because everybody always loses to Alabama in that opener. But uh, I do have some question marks about FSU too. Yeah, I I think part of my uh, perception here is is colored by having sat down at Jimbo's table at in Charlotte. Cause he was one of the, yeah, that was one of the schools I was assigned to do. And Jimbo speaks with such confidence. I mean, he doesn't shy. He's one of those guys who doesn't say, Hey, I don't care what the poll says. He's like, yeah, man, that's great. We uh, put it all on us. We love it. You know? And, I, and except it, he was speaking three times faster than yeah, that. So it's tough to transcribe. I mean, I gotta say, you know, if Bobby Bowden had to go, I'm glad that you know, they bequeathed the job to Jimbo because the speaking wise, they're, they're both a pleasure. I enjoy them. I, I really do. Now you and anybody who listens to this podcast knows you're the, you're the expert of the duo here. You're the guy who knows what's going on, and that's why you're a poll voter. You said Oklahoma. I know nothing about Oklahoma. I don't than, know a lot about. I mean, they have Baker Mayfield back. Uh, lost a lot of talent in offense. Uh, two running backs, Perrine and uh, Joe Mixon. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, the receiver who was up there in the uh, the Heisman voting as well. You lose a lot of offensive pieces like that. But I think the reason I would maybe question whether Oklahoma can continue it is they lose Bob Stoops mm-hmm. in the offseason. I mean, you, you have a Hall of Fame coach that you know steps down in June. And I know Lincoln Riley, people think the world of him as a head coach. He's like 32, 33. He's really young. Uh, you just wonder if he's ready for all the responsibilities that come along with being a head coach and kind of keeping that train rolling in Oklahoma. I mean, you know, Stoops, what he did there for 17 years, 18 years, however long he was there, uh, was amazing. I mean, they were always in the mix. They were always up there, top 10 finishes, BCS, New Year's Six games. Uh, that's hard to do. Uh, so I, I wonder if maybe people are just putting too much stock in the fact that Lincoln Riley's going to hit the ground running with just no hiccups right away. Uh, so if I had to pick another team, I think it might be Oklahoma. You mentioned Baker Mayfield being back as a positive, and I remember last year during bowl season saying I hate that guy. I didn't like his game. I don't like him. You didn't like his most efficient throw passer nope. rating in, in all of college football? I don't know. He seemed to you, have didn't, a- you didn't like his background? He was a walk-on at Texas Tech who couldn't get a scholarship there, so he transferred to Oklahoma and became the starter and got a scholarship. And Baker now he's like a Mayfield Heisman. is not a walk-on name. It is a Silver Spoon junior golf name. That's what it is. Baker Mayfield, <clears throat> teeing off on number six. I can see Baker there. And he has a very punchable face. See, this none of this – this is why you're the expert, because this is what I'm going with as to, to knock Oklahoma out of the top ten by the end of the year. Punchable faces and golf punchable names. Punchable faces. But uh, – but you, so you're saying he's he's a Heisman candidate? He's that oh, abs- yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. And the other team I would have picked, Michigan was 11th in the AP poll, but you know lost a lot 
from last year. And I think they have one of some of the fewest returning starters in the country. And I think them being at number 11 is really putting a lot of faith in Jim Harbaugh. And I think I had them 10th in my poll. And, you know, I put them there for that reason. I have faith in Jim Harbaugh and how he's recruited over the years that he's going to replace these guys. But uh, I think the potential is there for Michigan that so much was lost on that defense that they just don't quite have that caliber of a team this year. Being a Wisconsin alum, I'm curious what you think of Wisconsin at number nine. You think they'll stick around? I think they will. I mean, they have a pretty easy schedule last year. Last year it was brutal. They played Michigan, Ohio State, uh, Penn State eventually in the uh, the Big Ten championship game. Uh, it's just sort of how the, the Big Ten rotation works. They got a, a weird, really tough year. Uh, this year it's it's not like that. I think they miss most of those teams. I want to say they still play Michigan, but they don't play Ohio State, don't play Mich- uh, Penn State, I believe. Uh, but Wisconsin is what it is. I mean, they're they're a solid defensive team. They're going to run the ball, which is unusual in this day and age of college football, where everybody's throwing the ball over all over the place. They're going to put 320 pound linemen out there and run a you know 1500 yard back behind them all the time. And I think they have some more experience at quarterback. So. You know, Paul Chris does a pretty good job there. He he's like the perfect coach for Wisconsin, like so understated and not like flamboyant. He's just like you know, he's he <laughs> to, to borrow a phrase, he's kind of a lunch pail type guy. Mm-hmm. But that's been Wisconsin for you know 25 years since Barry Alvarez got there, and it's been a formula for success. So uh, I don't expect the Badgers to really go anywhere. I know they lost a linebacker uh, before the season, uh, their best linebacker to an ACL tear, so that was a tough break, but. Uh, they're not quite on the level of Ohio State and, and Penn State and, and maybe even Michigan, but they're still a really solid team that I think you know about tenth uh, seems like a logical ranking. Well, you're not sure about Penn State either, though, right? I mean, they're no, the I'm horse. Not. They're the horse that came ten ten links off the pace last year and and got in the money, and and now everyone's thinking, well, they're they're really good again, but yeah, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I, I still have a little bit of question marks about them, and they have. They have really good headliners. I mean, Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, I mean, quarterback, running back, you're looking at two of the best in the country. Probably the best. Punchable face. Yeah, probably the best combination of quarterback, running back, or among the best in the country. So if you have that, you're going to get a lot of preseason love, especially with how they finished the season last year. But, you know, they lost a lot from last year too, I think. And I I do have a few. (laughs) This is is what the preseason poll is like. Like, you see a lot of good things about teams, but then you're always like, but I'm not quite sure because they have to replace this. This is why the preseason poll is so hard. Yeah. Well, for the official record, we're both going with Clemson as our number one choice to, and they're at five. So if they fall out, we'll (laughs) consider that a victory for both of us on our prediction. Next week, we'll be full of predictions. We will uh, do our annual, well, I guess second annual over-unders. <laughs> you, you make it sound like that we have this long storied history of like, as we always do before the season, the over-unders. Well, it's fun to do in the moment, and it's fun to look back on, too, and see where we went wrong. It wasn't even like we had this like idea like months in advance last year we did. I think I showed up and it's like, what if we do an over-under <laughs> thing? You're like, I like that. Let's do that. So Yeah, so look forward to that next week. And, of course, we'll also get into the matchup, uh, dig as deep as we can into the West Virginia matchup because we're less than two weeks away. For Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.